I believe there's some exciting times around here, don't you? I'm excited, and, and well, this morning was good, but what we have is tonight. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm chapter number 85, the 85th Psalm. Last week I told you that, that normally when I, when I preach pretty hard on Sunday morning, I'm pretty exhausted that night, so uh, just, just pray for me. I pray that, that God would move tonight. Psalm chapter number 85, and we're going to go ahead and read the, the entire psalm. So just 13 verses, that's okay. We can read the Bible in church, amen? We're, I mean, that's, that's a good thing to be doing. So everybody stand, honor the reading of God's Word, if you're able to stand yeah, for the 13 verses here. Psalm chapter 85, verse number 1. If you're there, please say amen. The psalmist says this, he says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land, Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Will thou be angry with us forever? Will thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what, the, what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh. Them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. We thank you for your word. God, I just pray that you would use it tonight, God, to minister to people. Lord, I just pray that your word would go out, God, and it would be sown in hearts and people would be receptive to what you would say. God, I just pray that you would use me. God, touch me. Lord, bless all that's done here tonight. May it be to your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So the psalmist writes something kind of interesting here. And I love the book of Psalms. It's probably one of my two favorite Old Testament books, that and the book of Genesis. But he, he what, and I'll really, I'll tell you where we're going to preach from. That's going to be from verse 6 down. That's kind of obvious, right? It, some of y'all could have guessed that if, you're, if you know your Bible pretty well. But I like what he says in verse number 1. And we're going to go through this in an expository fashion. And what that means is we're just going to go verse by verse. I'm not going to preach topically tonight. We're going to go straight from the Word of God. But the psalmist says, Lord. So he starts this off. And, and so the way I look at that is when he says, Lord, he's, try, he's maybe he's getting the Lord's attention. You know, when, when I want to talk to Brother Gary, I'll look at him and I'll say, Gary, you know, pay attention to me for a minute. And then I'll go into something. And so the psalmist says, Lord, he, he addresses the Lord. 
Lord. And then he says something that is, it rings so true. And he's, he's talking about Israel here. If you go back to, down to the bottom of the verse, he talks about Jacob. Now that can be interchanged with Israel right there, God's people. But he says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. And I think about all the, the times previous to this in the Old Testament up to this point about how that God's favor was on his people. That everything that, that they did when they were living like they were supposed to, when they were living in the will of God, that God's favor was on them. Wouldn't you agree with that statement? God takes care of his people. And I want God's favor to be on me, don't you? I want to be in God's favor. Now, it, this is obviously directed toward is, it, towards the church or towards Israel. But today, God's people see God used to have a people that that He would He was separate from, you know. And everybody, if you wanted to go and and be part of God's family, you had to become a Jew. But today, God offers it to anybody. And then, when people get saved, they become what part of the body of Christ. And so that's how God ministers to people today. But I don't believe that that whether it be the children of Israel or whether it be God's people, the body of Christ, God is still going to show favor to his people. Wouldn't you agree with that statement? And so I would say amen tonight to that first verse where he says, Lord, thou hast been favorable. God's been favorable to us, hasn't he? God has, has shown us and he's given us many great things and it's things that we don't deserve. Things that we didn't have coming to us that God gave us in spite of ourselves. See, there were a lot of times that the children of Israel, uh, you know, I like to read. I've been reading the Old Testament. I've been reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I'm in that section of the Bible right now studying on it. And it seems like the, the, the common theme in that section of the Bible is that the children of Israel, God's people, we'll just say God's people in general, would do really good for a while and then they would mess up really bad. Right? I mean, they, uh, God, uh, God showed them his favor. He took them out of slavery. They had been in slavery for 450 years, and God took them out. And you know how I know God favored them when he took them out? Because the Egyptians loaded them down with gold and jewels, and they left the land of Egypt, and God had favor on them when they got to the Red Sea. They could have been destroyed right there, and God took them across, and God blessed them time after time after time after time. He's favorable towards his people. But then one of the things that I got to in the study was is Moses goes up on the mountain and he disappears for 40 days. And he comes back down and the children of Israel, what have they done? Well, they've created that golden calf. And those jewels and those things that God had blessed them with and all that gold that the Egyptians had loaded them down with God's favor suddenly turned into a problem for them. But in, in spite of all that they did, God still loved them. God still showed his favor towards them. And so you get into this section from verses 2 down to about verse 5, and he's talking about iniquity. He's talking about sin. Now, I preached on that pretty good this morning, right? Not my preaching, but I covered it pretty well. I guess I should say that. But it's worth saying again because I'm going directly from the Bible. He talks about their iniquity. But what he says is this. He says, thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. 
Iniquity that didn't deserve to be forgiven. Iniquity that we couldn't get rid of ourselves. God had to be the one to forgive it, and he did. And it says, and thou hast covered all their sin. And then he says a word, he says, Selah. Well, what does that mean? Well, if anybody knows what it means, please call up the Bible scholars because they really don't know what it means. But one of the things that most Bible scholars believe is that when you see this word in here, when you see this, this word Selah in your Bible, it, it usually means this, something along the lines of praise the Lord or something along the lines of he is exalted, something along the lines of lift him up right now. And so maybe in the song when the sons of Korah, when this choir, see the sons of Korah, they were a choir, and when they got this psalm, they were singing, and they were singing about all how their iniquities had been forgiven and how they were covered and all this. And maybe the choir director would stop them for just a minute and say, hold on, we need to praise the Lord right here. And I would say amen to that, wouldn't you? Not only is God favorable to us, but, but, but he's given us, forgiven us of our iniquities. I know what I've done. I don't know what you've done, but I guarantee it was bad. Amen. And you couldn't forgive it yourself, but God forgave that. And then in verse 3, he says, you, Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Well, where would that wrath come from? Well, that wrath should have been poured out on our iniquity. The the wrath should have come down. As soon as we committed that sin, God had every right to strike you with his wrath because God does not tolerate sin. God hates sin. Sin is, is the opposite of everything that God is. God is holy. He is completely and fully holy in all that he is. And sin cannot coincide with God. And so anytime that sin shows up, God could, you know, he could just pour out his wrath on us, but I'm glad that he doesn't. He says, Thou hast taken away the wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Will thou be angry with us forever? Will thou draw out thine anger to all generations? He talks about generations and And how that God could pour his wrath out on generation to generation to generation. But he doesn't. But then he says something, and here's the focus of what we're going to talk about tonight. He says, Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? I'm going to read that again. He says, Will thou not revive us again? This is a question, not a statement. He says, Will thou, God, will you? Revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee. You know, there's a lot of things that that could be said about this, and there's a lot of, of reasons to have revival. I mean, we need a revival here at this church. But we need a revival not that, that doesn't just stop here at the church. Because there's a there's a bigger area than this church right here that needs revival. And you know, there's the cliche that a lot of people say, well, our nation needs revival. Absolutely, it does. Absolutely. But I think before we get to Washington, D.C. with the revival, we need to, maybe we need to get it to, to the Cookville, Tennessee, you reckon? Maybe we need to get it down here to City Hall in Cookville. And it's going to start right here. 
But he, it's interesting to me that he says that this is what revival is. I believe the explanation of revival is right here in this verse. And that, it, that revival is God's people rejoicing in Him. It's people just having joy. That word, the root word of rejoice is joy. We talked about that a while back. The book of Philippians is written on joy. And what we need today is just some joyful Christians. We need some folks, uh, and joy is not, you know, people have, sometimes we have a, a misconception of what joy is. Joy is, is not running the aisles and walking on the back of the pews and jumping up and down and screaming. That's, that, to be honest with you, a lot of times that's just emotion. I mean, last night, or Friday night, I was in one of those kind of things where that sort of thing happens, and, and it's okay, but listen... There's times when, when you're not going to do that and you can still be joyful. You can still rejoice in your heart. Well, how can you rejoice? Why should you rejoice? Well, I believe he explained it pretty well because your sins are forgiven. We need to be stirred up and we need to remember that. You know, I'm not saying we need to drag up the past, but I think sometimes people need to remember what God saved them from and how rotten they used to be. Wouldn't you say Amen. <laughs> I mean, it, it's unbelievable what God has saved us from. Unbelievable. Beyond comprehension. I don't get it. I don't deserve it. But God gave it to me anyways. And he says that, he says that we can rejoice. He says, show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. And then verse 8. Here's a, here's a thing that we need to do when revival gets here. When Brother Bernard preaches on Sunday, when Brother Jonathan preaches on, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, is he says this, the psalmist wrote down, and he, he wanted the choir to sing this. He says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. You see what that says? I will hear what God the Lord will speak. Whatever God says... I'll listen to him. Now sometimes that's tough to swallow, isn't it? Because sometimes when the preacher's preaching, it's not always what we want to hear. Wouldn't you agree with that? There's some stuff that I'll, I'll say from the pulpit, pulpit from time to time that you probably won't like, that'll make you uncomfortable. But as long as I'm in the Word of God, it's okay. We'll, we'll, we're going to make it. So when Brother Bernard's here and Brother Jonathan now, now they didn't call me up and say, hey, I'm going to preach hard to them, so you better, better warn them and set them up. I'm just going by what the Bible says. That, that The psalmist wanted it to be proclaimed that whenever God speaks, whether that be through a preacher or whether that be when you're in your prayer closet and deep meditation and communion with God, if he speaks to you there, whatever he says, listen. I think that there's a, we, have, we have sort of a, a lapse in communication with God sometimes. We want to do all the talking and not much listening. We don't want to hear what God is saying to us, but he says, I'm going to listen. He goes on to say in the verse, go ahead and read it. He says, for he will speak peace unto his people. Well, praise the Lord, I want peace in my life, don't you? And God will speak it into your life. And, and, and he says, and will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. You believe that he would call people like us saints? And then he says, but let them not turn again to their folly. 
See, the thing about it is, is, is what I think about when, when I read that, is that when people get that joy in their heart, and when people start listening to God and start, start getting in the will of God and doing what God says, if they're not careful, it'll last for a little while, and then people just go back to how they were. What's it say? What's the Bible say? Again, I'm not making this stuff up. This is straight from the Word of God right here. And he says, he said, let not the people return to their folly, to the ways that they shouldn't have been in, to, to, the, to the bad stuff, not even necessarily the sin, but maybe the stuff like I talked about this morning, that, that when you put it down and when you get in the will of God, don't go back to it. But we do that so often, don't we? You know, we'll get fired up at revival and, and that's about all it turns into is just you get fired up for a little while and then you go to the house and that's the end of it. But I believe with all my heart that when the Word of God is spoken and then the Holy Ghost comes down and he, he touches people's lives. Is the Holy Ghost, is that okay in a free will Baptist church? When God truly communes with people, when God deals with people, saved people, Whatever it is, lost people, you can never be the same as you were before. When God touches something, it's going to be different than it was. When God, when, when Cody was saved this morning, we, we want to run to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, right? If any, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We'd, we'd agree with that statement all the way. That when a lost person gets saved, they're a new creature. But I'm telling you that when God touches people, Christian people, and when they get revived and when their spirit is stirred up in them and, and these things like this happen, that you should never, ever be the same as you were before. If you are, then, then, then what good is it? You should be changed. You, you, when God touches something, I'm telling you, it cannot be the same. It's going to be different. When, when Moses came down from that mountain and God had walked by him, he was different after that. And so we go on and he says, Surely, verse number 9, Surely his salvation is nigh to them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Verse 12, he says, Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good. You think God gives us bad things? I don't think so. God gives us good things. You know where bad stuff comes from? I'll just let you in on this. It comes from, from the curse of sin. It does. That's where bad stuff comes from. You want to know where all this bad stuff that people deal with comes from? That cancer, that brain cancer I was talking about? You know why that's here? It's the curse. That's what it is. If, if anything bad happens, God can only give good things. Why? Because God is wholly good. There's nothing about God that's bad. Now, does God allow bad things to happen to sometimes? Yes, He does. Do I always understand why God allows stuff to happen to people? Absolutely, I don't. I don't know. I'll just, I'll just tell you this. If you, if you come to me looking for all the answers sometimes, I can't give them to you. God is sovereign, but whatever God does, it's good, I promise. And it says that God is going to give good. 
It says that, that, that righteousness or, or that truth will spring out of the earth and the Lord shall give that which is good and our land shall yield her increase. Now if we're not careful, we'll turn that into prosperity gospel, won't we? We'll say, well, if we do good, God can't do anything but bless us. Well, God's will is going to be done. But I would say this, that if, if we would get in the will of God and, and, and just, just go to whatever God is blessing, I can tell you what God's blessing. You know, people are trying to figure out, they're trying to come up with new programs and they're trying to come up with, with all these new things and, and trying to make stuff work. But if we'll just get into the Word of God, this church can grow. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, I'll tell you this, I didn't get saved, and I don't try to live a righteous life to try to grow my wallet. I don't. I mean, I'm not saying that, that if you live right that God's always going to fill you up with money. That's, that's, a, that's the prosperity gospel. But what I will tell you is that if you'll do what God says, if you'll just rejoice in Him, God will pour out blessings. God will bless this church. I believe that with all my heart. Why? Because God gives good things. God wants good things for His people. God's got good things in store for us if we're ready for them. And so I encourage you this week, or this in, in a, a couple of weeks, we've got 14 days to revival. Be prepared for that. Be prepared for revival. Don't just show up and, and say, God, do what you can. No, be ready for God to give good things. Be prepared for it. Be prepared for God to pour out a blessing from the time that, that Brother Bernard opens his Bible until the time Jonathan closes his at the end of revi revival. Be ready for God to touch. Individually, for him to touch your life, to touch the church corporately, but, but that it would extend on out into Cookville, maybe Tennessee, I don't know. But pray that God would, would touch us as a church. I want God's blessing to be here, don't you? And God wants His blessing to be here. I, I tell you what, God's not somebody that just operates in a bunch of cloaks and daggers and, and it's a secret as to what, what, what God will bless. I know what God will bless. God will bless some people that are living for Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. We thank you for all that you do. God, I thank you for your wonderful word and, God, what it means to us. Lord, I thank you for this church. God, I just pray that you would bless each individual that's here tonight. God, I just pray that you would touch the ones that couldn't be here, whatever the situation may be. Lord, I thank you for that soul this morning, God, that, that, that the young man that came and gave his life to you. Lord, I just pray that you would bless him, God, that you would use him in a mighty way. But God, I just pray that you would continue, Lord, to deal with the lost people in this church. And God, I just pray that you would put it on the heart of each Christian, Lord, to pray for those folks to think about those people. God, I just pray that you would wake us up sometimes with concern for those people. God, I pray that you would revive this church. God, help us to be in the center of your will. And God, help us most of all to be a light right here where we're at. God, help us to shine a light into the world and tell them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. God, I pray that we could be a beacon of hope in this city. God, I just pray that, that many people would get saved, Lord, and it not reflect our glory, but God, it would resound to your glory. 
And that, God, everything that happens good in this revival, and, Lord, in the coming years, God, whatever is done that is good, God, let us give you the glory because you're worthy of it. God, nobody in here is worthy of glory except you. God, we praise you tonight. We lift you up. And we can do that in the name of Jesus. Amen.